0: Welcome to Aircrew Interview. I'm Mike Young, your host. In this episode, we we'll chat with Air Marshal Cliff Spink as he talks about his RAF flying career on the Lightning, FG1, FGR2, 4 UK, Tornado, and the Spitfire and Hurricane. He also includes a great story about his speed record run from London to Edinburgh. So if you like what we do here, head over to patreon.com forward slash aircrewinterview to help us out for as little as $1 per month. You can also donate by going to aircrewinterview.tv forward slash donate. Thank you and enjoy. When did you first become interested
1: in aviation? I think very early days, Mike. Um, I was a farmer's boy, so we lived in Kent, and a lot of activity in those days where aeroplanes, stations that were still operational were Manston and West Morling, Biggin Hill, and uh, the aeroplanes that used to come back in from their gun firing used to come right over the farm. And it was great adventure for us. If one of the sleeves that they were towing for their air-to-air f- firing detached and came down on the f- on the farm. Anyway, so I had an uh, an interesting aviation uh, from a very early uh, very early as early stage, A T C and things of that sort, yeah. and my first flight in a chipmunk, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that was that was really my introduction uh, to aviation. Um, I always wanted to um to fly uh, i think it's best put I, I i didn't exactly excel in my secondary education not so much uh, from an academic point of view but um i i left school prematurely i think is the way they put it um more bluntly i think the headmaster said it's uh, it's you or me and it's not going to be me <laughs> so i i um I came into the Air Force at the age of 16 as an apprentice because too young to fly. But I was very lucky that um, I was selected for pilot training while I was an apprentice. And um, two and a half years later, I was told by the commandant at Halton, our apprentice uh, school. And the commandant was an air commodore, very famous um, wartime Spitfire pilot called aldea and he was our commandant aldea uh, was our, by that time an air commodore and um uh he basically said um i think it was a joke i hope it was <laughs> he said oh, i think we're, you're going to be a bloody awful engineer so we're sending you pilot training so i found myself at cranwell um starting my uh, pilot training in 1966 having joined in 1963
0: so could you tell us some of the aircraft you started basic training on and what they would like to fly?
1: Well, my my first basic training uh, was on the Jet Provost. It was an interesting time in the Royal Air Force at the time because a lot of the... Um, when you first came in, you normally did chipmunk flying first and then went on to Jet Provost. But there was a, a feeling, I think, by um, the Royal Air Force that we were becoming a much more of a, a jet air force... And um, in consequence, they thought we'd take us right through jet training. So we were one of the first entries that came in exclusively on the jet. I'll come back to that later because... um, Anyway, I went through on the Jet Provost 3 and 4, and we did about 170 hours on the Jet Provost at Cranwell, including all all the basic flying, training, formation, instrument flying... And we got our wings in August 1968, just 50 years ago. <laughs> uh, so uh, <laughs> seems like yesterday. And that uh, the the aeroplane was was a delight to fly. The jet Provost. Um, some people said it was perhaps a little bit too straightforward for basic training, um, and. Um, I immediately, I'd finished and got my wings, um, went up to uh, Royal Air Force Euston at and uh, sorry, Spitfires and Hurricanes taking off in the background. Uh, uh, so, um, immediately after I'd finished, I went as a gap in my flying training and uh, I went with Northumbrian University Air Squadron and checked out on the chipmunk, which was probably one of the best things I ever did because it gave me tail-dragging prop experience. And I was able to come back to that at various gaps when I was on an enforced time behind a desk or something. (laughs) But um, that was only for about a month before I went to RF Valley on the NAT to do my advanced flying training.
0: What was the NAT like to fly?
1: Super. bit intimidating. It looks small, but it's... Um, the, you know, power, weight. It was very swift. Um, it was not an aeroplane you mucked around with. In, if you understand me, we did, yeah. but not in, a, in not close to the ground or the rest of it. So it, it was quite a challenge coming from the jet Provost to the NAT. Um, high approach speed. Lots of things about it. You, you really had to uh, watch out for.
0: So after the Hunter, you got posted to your first frontline uh, jet. Can you tell us about this and what your first thoughts of the Lightning were?
1: When you went uh, from the Hunter, which was in itself a, a, you know, a good high-performance airplane, um, I always remember when I arrived at Coltishall, which is where we did our Lightning conversion, and walking across the hangar for the first time and looking, and I thought, my goodness, that's a big beast. <laughs> yeah. um, and... Uh, you know, just just to look at the lightning, it looked um, it looked mean and it looked you know, full of performance, and of course that's the way it proved to be. Um, and so, at Coldechore, we did about um, I think it was about sixty sixty hours on the aeroplane, uh, maybe not as much fifty or sixty hours anyway, um, and. The the whole point was that you went through obviously your normal conversion yep. to get your instrument rating, and then you were into your applied um, oh intercept training. A really high workload airplane actually because being a single seater, and you had to mar- do the uh, obviously control the radar, the missiles, and everything else that went with it. So um, the airplane itself was a delight to fly absolute delight fly and i'll go back to that um but where people fell down on conversions if they were scrubbed was normally because they couldn't operate the airplane right yeah yeah now my first flight your very first flight in the lightning um was what we called an instructor's benefit you just sat in the airplane with an instructor and got airborne and you he, it was a good day for him because he could just show us what it was all about yeah. and I think I didn't know whether it was to impress us or intimidate us but I always remember my, ins- um, my instructor was a chap called Flight Lieutenant Jimmy Jewell who subsequently was a very well known here at Duxford uh, flying the B-17 oh, wow. um, anyway Jim uh, we got airborne and it was a reheat takeoff in a Mark V and it truly was gut-wrenching, awe-inspiring, and uh, it was as if somebody had got hold of the world and towed it away from you. That's wow. the way. And as we, uh, as we were going up at an f- incredible angle of climb and speed, he, he looked across at me uh, as we were sort of almost lying on our backs going airborne, and in, rather laconically he said, uh, there you are young man, he said, the only reason we've got wings on this airplane is to keep the nav lights apart. Whatever you call it. So um, we went through the the, the training there. Um, I mean, the, the thing about the Lightning was it was always um, it never had a great deal of fuel. No. Um, it, you know, compared you've had two massive engines, and um, you really had to be on your metal to to get in all that you needed. Um, in that's in that sortie and you're always looking at the fuel gauges yeah um, um, it's seriously I mean if a combat sortie in the short range shorter range airplanes could be fifteen 20 minutes uh, mm-hmm. or something like that um, but we generally eked about half an hour out of them wow. um, later on I, I went on to the longer range but anyway I finished at Coldishall, I was posted to treble one squadron at RF Watersham um, and um, the it was just the best thing for a young man in this wonderful aeroplane, um, a, capt- a good good, good aeroplane to earn your spurs on I think is the best way, you really had to be on your metal, uh, but it was so wonderful to fly, beautifully handling machine, um, a lot of people would used to say, yes, and landing was a controlled crash. (laughs) Nothing could be further from the truth. You could really finesse the lightning on to the ground. In a crosswind, um, we would, um, you could wear out, not because of uh, ineptness on the behalf of the pilot, I I quickly add, but in a crosswind, the tires were such high pressure things. You could use, get rid of a a pair of tires in one landing, in a crosswind. Um, but normally they didn't last that long. We obviously had a brake parachute um, because they, for obvious reason, you're coming around finals at about 170, coming across the hedge uh, around about 150 knots. Um, so you're, you're, you're fair moving, oh, yeah. that's for sure. But the airplane was eminently fly, you know, flyable, um, and uh, as I say, very demanding, particularly at low level. And very sadly, we did you know, the, the force, the lightning force, did in, mm. in what was a high, highly demanding environment. Anyway, that was my first tour, and uh, I got selected from there to go back to Coldershore to become a weapons instructor. Mm-hmm. Um, that was another high-intensity um, program up at Coldershore where you um, not only did it, but you taught other people how to do it. And... Um, um, which is always a good lesson for anybody becoming an instructor. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I, I finished, finished that. Um, I had a little bit of a tragedy in my life at that time. I, my, I lost my first wife. Oh, um, but the Royal Air Force were great. Um, although I had been returned on Treble One, they decided to send me to Cyprus to 56 Squadron. Oh, yes. um, and um, which I thought was magnificent as a, as, a human relations and. Uh, the Royal Air Force were very good at that time, and they they, um, they sent me to Cyprus as one of the weapons instructors on 56 Squadron, which were uh, flying the Mark Six, uh, increased fuel, um, big ventral tank compared to the Mark Three, which I'd been flying on Treble One Squadron. Mm-hmm. And um, not only did it have the same missiles, but it also had two 30 uh, millimeter cannons. Yeah. Um, actually, in the ventral fuel tank, I think only the Brits can put two guns in a fuel tank. But um, <laughs> sounds about right. It, it, it worked okay. Yeah. And I had um, eighteen wonderful months in in Cyprus, and in and during that period, we, of course, we had the Turkish invasion. Yes. Yeah. During the time in Cyprus, um, the, the Turkish invasion of Cyprus, which was prompted by actually Greeks fighting Greeks, Makarios' men being, um, and the, the National Guard. Anyway, they had a bit of a punch up, and eventually the uh, Turkish government, somewhat understandably, said, um, We won't have a, a, a Greek dominated island, because it had been obviously dual nationality, and they invaded. And it was very interesting that I was scrambled one day. um, We knew this was all going on. The the fight had been going on, uh, but the Turks hadn't invaded. Um, But we anticipated that they may, um, and probably would. And I was brought to... uh, I was on what we called battle flight QRA. And um, I, I was brought to readiness, and as I clambered in, The controller said, we've got six tracks coming down from Mm Ardana and gave me a scramble. So I was rather pleased to see my flight commander also strapping to an airplane because six to one didn't seem like a very good (laughs) odds at the time. As it turned out, um, we scrambled and um, intercepted um, RF-84F's aircraft, um, the the Turkish reconnaissance airplanes, and um, we escorted them. And that was, you know, our rules of engagement obviously we had to be shot at before we shot back. Yeah. And, and of course, they seemed to be as nervous as we were. Uh, and of course, the Lightning um, it's quite a big airplane compared to an RF 84. And so we were, uh, I was in close formation escorting this Turkish pilot who I met many years later, but that's another story. <laughs> um, and we escorted them around. And it was very easy to know um, the areas that they were. Uh, Uh, reconnoitering um, because you could see the camera doors on the nose of the RF-84 coming open. Anyway we did that and um, that was all um, very exciting time and then of course they did invade Um, we were rather restricted to defending the sovereign base areas Um, and by that time we'd been reinforced by uh, phantoms as well in case we really did get into a hot engagement. As it turned out it didn't but we had a lot of um, very exciting, uh, exciting flying. That's for, that's for sure. Um, Cyprus itself was a great environment to fly in, uh, as you can imagine. Yeah, um, and a great environment to be in. But sadly, to our amazement, given the, all that had happened in 1974, at the end of 74, the government of the day decided they're going to withdraw. Very strange that. Yes, yeah. We uh, and of course. Luckily they didn't close that for all the reasons today it's used so, so much in that rather hot part of the world. I mean hot in political terms yeah. rather than... Um, we came back with the aeroplanes uh, again to Wattisham, uh, dear old Wattisham, and um, I was with the squadron then again all the way through 1975 into 1976. Good times on the Lightning, then. Fabulous. I mean, I got about 1,300 hours on the aeroplane, and it was just, just a wonderful period in my life. I think it was, uh, as I've already said, a great aeroplane for developing your not only your flying skills but your captaincy skills, mm-hmm. because you really did need to uh, be on top of the job. You know, never had an excess of fuel. That yes. was for sure.
0: <laughs> so before we move on, I have to ask, how? The lightning Fair and DACT with the types at the time?
1: Very well very well, it had a lovely wing um, and um, we're talking about a time when a lot of the um, European Air Forces had the 104 yeah. so no contest yeah. really we, we out climbed and outturned uh, turned the, uh, the 104 good aeroplane that mm-hmm. it is and I've flown in the 104 but um, the, the lightning was in it a... and of course we used to we were cleared to air test the Lightning to 56,000 feet. And that the, the reason it got only 56,000 feet was a limitation on the oxygen system and your pressurisation. So nothing to do with so the to, aircraft so, itself? No, the aircraft, and indeed, um, and others, I'm sure, went further and higher than I did, but uh, you used to do an accelerated term through, uh, uh, run through 1.3 and then did a constant mark climb. But by the time, if you handled the engine, and you had to handle the engines properly, you had to gradually reduce the reheats net to you got, as you were getting higher, so you didn't get what we call a rich cut. Right. The last thing you want is the engine blowing out at that height and losing pressurisation, because so you can get some fundamental physiological problems then. Um, but uh, we all went through that. And, uh, I mean, I only went into the mid-60s but I know a lot of my friends who went even further and it was um, amazing I I mean on the few occasions I did on the air test you can actually see the curvature of the earth the sky goes a very deep midnight blue, all the light is actually reflected from below and as you went up the, the amazing thing was that you were doing a very high mark number still but because we had a what we called a strip speed in the airplane, you could see compared the airspeed to the mark number, and the airspeed was incredibly low mm-hmm. sort of speed you only see in the circuit or just above uh, but the mark you were still doing one point three yeah uh, and it, give, it gives you an indication of the you know the, the relative uh, relationship between airspeed and mark yeah, number of course, yeah. um, and we used to have roll, and you you didn't have enough tail to push. You d- tended to roll and and pull the airplane down, uh, hoping that the engines weren't going to go out. But my flight commander, who uh, who had actually flown U twos, uh, really got us all together one day and said, "Look, you don't, you boys are playing playing with fire there. Because if the engines go out, you could have a real problem with your pressurisation and uh, wow. and uh, so. But anyway, we did." You know, we, we went to great heights, and indeed it was the Lightning. It only became known latterly uh, when the Black programs were coming out. The Lightning's did interceptions against U-2s really to prove or disprove whether aer- other airplanes could get to the same sort of height. Yeah. And of course the Lightning did, uh, which was a bit of a, a sobering thought for the U-2s because Soviets were getting airplanes... of. A MiG-21, which were comparable performance. So, but we we did actually do uh, interceptions, not me personally, but um, and indeed it was unknown to me when I was in the lightning force. Mm-hmm. But latterly um it became known that we'd done interceptions um just to to prove or disprove, and it proved that. The Lightning could get to those. We were pretty much ballistic as we went past. <laughs> I wouldn't say that they, you could fly like the U-2. Anyway, yeah. that was the end of my... Uh, 76 brought an end to my um, my flying in the Lightning after about 1,300 hours. Mm-hmm.
0: And then you were lucky enough to go on to fly the FG-1 and the FGR-2. How did you feel about this?
1: Well, I was very pleased. I'd, I was... <laughs> I was given a tour with the uh, army at uh, the Royal Military Academy Sandhurst where I I managed to play hooky on certain days and go and fly the chipmunk to mm-hmm. keep my... And I, In fact, I ran the flying club for the academy as well. But obviously I was itching very quickly to get back to jet flying. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd been promoted to squadron leader, so um, uh, when I was told I was going, uh, as it happened, back to, to treble one squadron, by now re-equipped with the... FG1 and the FGR2. They had a mix of the old Navy airplanes and and um, and so I did refresher tra- training on first the Jet Provost and again the Hunter mm-hmm. uh, Jet Provost at Leeming and the Hunter at RF Broadie. Um, great fun going back through the tr- training um, and um, found myself at Coningsby on the uh, on the Phantom. First impressions were. Not as positive as i I would have wished, phantom with the space is a very powerful engine mm-hmm. aeroplane, but the increment you got with reheats was enormous in cold power um, it had less thrust than the lightning in reheats it had a lot more mm-hmm. but so in cold power it was it was uh, a, 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 a bit pedestrian, particularly at height great low level aeroplane because it 's a fan engine, mm-hmm. so my I, um, I always remember my first takeoff and adopting a, from my memory banks a, 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 an angle of climb which I thought was going to be appropriate and it was far too, uh, far too high uh, <laughs> and I had to shallow it off just to keep the speed. But I got to love the, the Phantom. It, it didn't have the handling characteristics of the, of the Lightning. Um, the, the Lightning was just a, a thoroughbred in its handling. I wouldn't, uh, Difficult is the wrong word, but it, it didn't have quite the characteristics uh, that the, uh, the Lightning did. Mm-hmm. Um, as you could see, it, tips of the wings turning up, tail turning down. In yep. fact, I think sometimes they called it double ugly, but, uh, <laughs> um, but it, it was nonetheless <coughs> an incredibly good warplane. Much, much better in somewhat, is a warplane mm-hmm. than the Lightning in that it had eight missiles, a gun. A lot of fuel, a pulse Doppler radar. We only had a pulse radar in that, and a navigator. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, although I'd been in single seaters, and we always rude about two seaters, actually, it was the way to go. Yeah, having another pair of eyes in that aeroplane and controlling the radar, a worked-up two-seat crew on the Phantom, uh, and it, it was a, a quantum leap in our operational capability. Yeah. Um, and I got to love it uh, I flew with Treble One and we were intercepting the bear and doing a lot of QRA missions which were, were fun in themselves you always knew when you were intercepting a bear with a a, um, a political officer on board um, because they were all very grumpy <laughs> but if they didn't have a political o- they would show you copies of Playboy and yeah. Coca-Cola um, and and it was a serious business because some of them uh, would try and drag you down at low, to low mm-hmm. level particularly at night and then throw a turn into you and if you weren't careful so it was a serious business I wouldn't uh, but uh, great 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 fun and of course we had detachments all over Europe um, and that that was my time on uh, on treble one which I I thoroughly enjoyed I was sort of associated with the phantom for about 10 years later I, I then went on a ground tour but i i just stayed in touch mm-hmm. in germany i was the wing commander air defence i um in germany but i just stayed in touch with the phantom yeah um you know i kept my simulators up to 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 speed and um so at the end of my ground tour at, at in germany I, I was i'm sure I think it was a pain in the bum to my posting officer because I was phoning up all the time about where am I... And, of course, being a wing commander by now, I, I was really bucking for a squadron. Mm-hmm. Um, about uh, three years into my ground tour, I got phoned up and told I was going to um, become a squadron commander and um, command 74 squadron, which was then flying... Uh, the F4J um, back at RAF Watersham again Uh, but I know I I spent a lot of my career there, but the F4J was one of the uh, was an airplane that we'd bought from literally out of the desert they'd been used by stockpiled by the United States Navy, we'd had the Falkland uh, in the meantime we'd deployed a squadron down there so we needed to bolster um, our home defence, so we literally bought these. They were refurbished. They were effectu- effectively S-model uh, phantoms, but uh, still had the what we call the hard wing. It didn't have the automatic slats, um, although it had slats for landing, and, um, and it had a jet engine rather than the turb- you know, turbofan, mm-hmm. which is Spay. Yeah. So, interestingly, it retained all the area ruling. Uh, which the F4K uh, and the MRs had lost. Yeah. So it was back, and it was, it was a, as a phantom goes, it was a really sporty aeroplane. Yeah. And it had a very good performance at high level all the way through. Had engines both in cold power and reheat, similar to the Lightning, mm-hmm. um, less installed thrust than the, the Spay with a reheat in, but when we were in cold power, we had more. And it also we had instant reheat. Yes, of course. Uh, whereas the um, K and the M, uh, the Spay, you had to wait a I've half had five seconds. Go, what, what for a quite it never actually, never actually passed Boscombe Downs acceptance for that. But we had it in the Air Force anyway. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I was a Squadron Commander of the uh, seventy-four, the Tigers. Yep. Um, wonderful, wonderful days. I had a v- very young Squadron, uh, which was good. <laughs> very hair raising when I went on detachment sometimes with the youngsters but <laughs> um, uh, it, was, it was great fun absolutely fun mm-hmm. and, and I, I I thought the tiger's head uh, as a badge great, and, and a it? motto I fear no man has got yeah. to be and I'm very sad that it no longer yeah, yes. is a front line squadron which it should be well absolutely yes. let's start the movement bring back <laughs> exactly. the tiger's let's get squadron
0: so can you tell us which you prefer to fly, the spare model or the, the American version?
1: I actually ultimately preferred the, uh, the, the American version. I thought that was... Um, but, but bear in mind, um, to, to be fair to the K and the M, we were, the original had to drag bombs and rockets and yep. lots of things off a small carrier. So once you had the reheats in, of course, they were effective for a small carrier. Probably couldn't have done that in yeah. fact I know you couldn't have done it with the with the pure jet um, what we call it the american version yeah. of um but on a fixed runway and given the job that we had to do in air defense i found the uh, f4j a, a much much more capable
0: i'm surprised about that actually because uh...
1: Th- throughout the yeah I, I'm, I'm i'm convinced we had a good radar um it was fast it had a good high level performance um, all in all, it was it, it was an excellent, a- excellent aeroplane. Um, as I say, that's not to damn the, f- the F4K and the F4M at low level, excellent. Very uh, but, but you need a performance across the spectrum.
0: Yeah, of course. And I also like the colours of the J models. They were great. <laughs> they took blues, yes. That was brilliant.
1: And we, um, we had one bit of fun, which still exists. Two of us, uh, my boys, convinced me that a Jaguar shouldn't hold the... Um, speed record from London to Edinburgh which has been held by various aeroplanes yeah. and a Jaguar was the um, holder and it held it from oh, I can't remember what the, the date it did it but it, it did it over land with a very high uh, tailwind because you're not allowed to go supersonic over land, mm-hmm. you have to be 10 miles off the coast if you're going parallel to it or 30 miles if you're pointing towards it um, so I or um, well, the boys said, "Let's see if we can break it." And we took two F F4Js clean and uh, nice noise in the background. Beautiful. Um, the um, and we we took two aeroplanes purely if it, one was unserviceable, we good still. And it was all done with the FIA, and they had all their super clocks. And um, we did it such that we came up over. Norfolk to Blakeney, uh, Blakeney and then up around the coast and accelerated once we crossed the coast, we were very high subsonic mm-hmm. and then we were averaged about 1.6 mark all the way up but, yeah. the coast and um, crossed the, the extended line, which is what you did and then diverted very quickly into Lucas because it was short of fuel and um, we broke the record, not by a lot but it's uh, sort of 27 minutes and three seconds wow. from London to Edinburgh <laughs> and it still stands I'm sure now I've said that there's going to be everybody, yeah, be, yeah. go, everybody <laughs> going to break it yeah of course brilliant anyway uh, being uh, boss of the Tigers and 74 squadron was obviously a very, real high point and the uh, F4J and all that went with it was uh, just a high point of my uh, my career in many well one of many high points I'm privilege to have been able to fly so many good airplanes. But from there I um, went to uh, the Falkland Islands as the station commander, uh, still retaining my currency on the F-4. I was also lucky as well to fly the C-130 and uh, the Sea King while I was down there. Um, and it was a, a wonderful year being able to fly the F-4 in that sort of environment, which uh, a bit like today, normally quite clear. Um, but very windy and then you had four seasons in a day so you had to watch the weather quite, uh, quite closely. So that was, very, uh, that was a, a wonderful period as well. Uh, I came back after a year and I'd been assigned to be the um, station commander following that at RAF Coningsby, You're lucky to get a station in the Royal Air Force but I was doubly lucky. Not only was it a fighter station, but it's also the one that had the Battle Battlebreath Memorial Flight on it. Yeah, quite a And like all station commanders, you're allowed to fly the aeroplanes that are on your station. So, well, before I got to that, though, I I converted to the um, I converted to the Tornado, but uh, and and went to operational status as well and about that time I was told I was already uh, Saddam Hussein had invaded Kuwait and so I'd been told that I was going to Dharan as the detachment commander um, which I duly did uh, uh, towards the end of uh, 90 and um, and then obviously we were into the first Gulf War it was three months. It, it, it seemed a lot longer at the time purely because of what we were doing and I was very privileged to, to command um, uh, a composite wing of bombers, recce and air defence tornado aeroplanes. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, that's, as they say, is history now but uh, I did manage to fly one of a one of few sorties down there. Um, as I say, that seemed like a quite a long time, but it, in fact I was back by April, um, straight into command of the station wow. of, uh, of, the, uh, of RAF Coningsby, which um, had three squadrons, two operational squadrons and one training squadron, um, which were 5, 29 and uh, 56 squadrons, 65 going to 56. Um, and I flew with all, all those um, all those squadrons variously but as important I suppose for the future I was able to uh, fly with the Battle of Britain Memorial flight and it was in that time in 1991 that um, I first flew first off the Hurricane DBMF um, you tended to do 15 hours on the Hurricane and then uh, went on to the Spitfire okay. and so I um, I did 15 hours on the on the Hurricane, wonderful. Um, I must admit, when I was taxiing out the first time in the Hurricane, I'd had a wonderful briefing from uh, Squadron Leader Day, um, who was the OCB BBMF. But one thing I hadn't realised, being a jet pilot at that time, I'd flown Chipmunks and Harvards, but the noise was really—you uh, hear everything: the reduction gear. And that lovely Merlin uh, growl that you hear outside um, is one thing, but when you're in the cockpit, it's a different... It, you hear every yeah, everything. Sounds like a bag of bolts sometimes. <laughs> and I must admit, I thought, this can't be right. I was waiting for someone to stop me, but no one did, so I, I assumed all was well. Anyway, that was my first Hurricane flight. I um, I did 15 hours, and then my uh, I was converted to the Spitfire my first ride in a Spitfire wonderful was the um, was the Mark II very famous Battle of Britain aeroplane and to trust me on my first (laughs) solo I thought was amazing but anyway uh, I got it back on the ground you have to say that when you're flying such precious iconic aeroplanes and ones that belong to to the British public ultimately yeah uh, there's a huge responsibility I can imagine um, so I had two wonderful uh, two wonderful years flying with BBMF the Hurricanes Mark V and then the Mark Nineteen. Uh, with a sound like that in the background so as I was saying that the um, I flew all of the uh, the three marks of spitfire that we had on BBMF and the, and the, the Hurricanes and um, the, um, at, during that time uh, on BBMF I had occasion to do a display at Milden Hall oh, wow. um, with um, two, two Mark 19 Spitfires and after landing off one of the, the sortie I walked over to another group of pilots actually two pilots one of whom was um, Ray Hanna <laughs> I knew Ray From Air Force days and he ran here at Duxford the old flying machine company and he was with one of the other pilots and I I just sat down and we were just watching the rest of the air display and and Ray just said in his way he said would you like to come and fly with the old flying machine company when you finish with BBMF. Um, I I told him that I was staying in the Royal Air Force which I did Um, but he said well if you want to fly in your spare time um, you can come, please do come and fly with us. So I took up that opportunity. My my poor wife, who uh, I'd told I was just going to do two years. <laughs> uh, I said I'd do two years of BBMF, and uh, uh, 27 years later, that's we're beginning to wear a bit thin, <laughs> I think. But anyway, she she does just about put up with it. But that was my introduction to flying here at Duxford. Mm-hmm. But just to continue on the RAF side, I'll, perhaps I can come back to the old airplanes or, or the warbird airplanes. Uh, once I left, um, once I went from uh, Coningsby, another l- wonderful two years. Um, I was initially going to uh, go to. Uh, I went to the, what they call the Royal College of Defence Studies, but I was pulled out because there was an un- uh, um, somebody was well, or, or uh, left early and the chain went that I, I suddenly became, I was pulled out of the staff college yeah. to go and be the senior air staff officer at headquarters 11 group at Bentley Priory um, I retained my currency on the tornado um, throughout that period which was jolly nice, I know it didn't fly as much but I, I, d- I still retained my currency and then I was pulled over to um, 18 Group, which is over at Northwood, to be Chief of Staff of um, 18 Group, which is a maritime group. I didn't understand why at the time. I couldn't understand why you wanted to fight a fighter pilot in a maritime <laughs> yeah. group. Um, but it became clear after about six months when I was told I was going, they were amalgamating both 11 and 18 groups. And I was going to be a group commander, then as an Air, Air Vice Marshal. Um, and that was just wonderful because I suddenly was commanding a group which had tornadoes hawks helicopters and nimrods which I'd never flown so during that period period uh, aside from re- retaining currency on the hawk and the and the and the tornado I I did a a, a course on the helicopter although I was I was never a a qualified helicopter pilot. They always had a responsible adult with me (laughs) make sure I didn't do anything wrong. Um, But I did did do that. And then um, I I did a conversion onto the Nimrod, which is the largest aeroplane I'd ever flown Mm -hmm. in the RAF. And that was quite wonderful. Mm -hmm. Um, For somebody of my background to suddenly have 13 crew, utterly professional bunch they were as well. And flying a large aeroplane, uh, close to the sea, um, at, yeah. at two hundred and fifty feet or five hundred feet, with considerable angles, banks, hunting submarines, um, is a demanding uh, job. And I, I had actually think the Royal Air Force did a magnificent job with the Nimrod, and I loved it. Yeah. But I, uh, so I flew it. Uh, I, I, I flew in the aeroplane. Um, you know, really quite quite a lot. Yeah. Um, and that was uh, another. Great two and a half years where I could uh, I could jump into a hawk, fly to Kinloss, fly the Nimrod, or fly to Lucas and fly the Tornado. I I mean, what a toy set! Um, But in the meantime, in my in what little what what spare time I had, um, I was by this flying quite regularly here at. At Duxford and uh, with OFMC, and that gave opened a door to uh, not just the Spitfire, but the uh, I'd, I was then flying Black Six, the Messerschmitt 109G, the, the Bouchon, Mustang, Corsair, um, and and had uh, started to come in the Sea Fury. I, I I'm in it. It was pilot stream, the pilot stream, and. Um, and that's just carried on, I suppose. I've flown with TFC quite a lot in some of their airplanes, the Wildcat and um, Curtis Hawk and things of that sort as as well. And you've
0: also flown the F-86 Sabre, is that correct?
1: I flew the F-86. That was down at um, ARC when I, um, I started flying with ARC after OFMC. And we had the T T-33 and the F-86A mm-hmm. a model. Um, owned by then Mr. Robert Horn unfortunately we had a very sad accident here luckily nobody hurt with the T-33 with um, the pilot and the um, engineer both got out of it Um, but uh, I loved flying the T-33 lovely aeroplane the F-56 was was great Mm -hmm. as well I've I've never flown the later Sabres Um, this was an early model Sabre Mm -hmm and uh, really was you were flying it mechanically and the flying control surfaces were boosted by hydraulics okay. later sabers were all uh, hydraulic controlled and apparently actually were nicer to fly the Ernie model certainly the the saber was heavier that i flew the a model was heavier than the hunter but nonetheless it, it was a wonderful privilege to fly Absolutely. what was the oldest flying jet in the world um, Built and delivered in 1948 <laughs> so it was and and I we, we pulled the leg of the guys who made the meteor and said oh it came out it was the oldest flying uh, jet well actually the Sabre we were flying was nine months younger oh no, was it and I always remember a, a particular air show at uh, Biggin Hill where we had to do a co- Korean War scenario and it was the Firefly leading me in the sabre and the commentator was very well briefed and as we went past and he said now ladies and gentlemen which is the older aeroplane and it was the sabre because the firefly was 1949 50 that particular model (laughs) Uh, and so hey mike it's it's been a wonderful journey yeah Um, this year represents my 50th year year with these the wit my wings
0: the original wings
1: well, they look it, don't they? They're looking pretty tatty. Um, I don't know whether they're my original ones, but they're ones I've kept for some years, and they're yeah. beginning to look a bit threadbare. But I, yes. you'll have to uh, fight me to get them off me. I can imagine. Uh, um, and so it's it's been a great journey. I suppose there will come a time when I have to hang up my tired old flying gloves. Um, Hopefully,
0: many years to come, though. Well, if the wife says so. Yeah. Uh, well,
1: yes. If I get the uh, necessary not. clearances from the <laughs> MEMSAB. Of course. Yeah.
0: So Cliff, do you have any hobbies apart from flying?
1: I, 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 do, play, I do play golf, but uh, it, it's taking a little bit of a backseat because my wife, I normally play with her and she's slightly had a bad back. But uh, yes, I do golf. Uh, I ski in the winter, uh, again with the family, mm-hmm. uh, with my crazy son who goes straight down the mountain, cool. but I'm a little bit more, um, and my grandsons now are... And my wife and my daughter all ski so we ski in the winter Um, and I suppose apart from keeping the house and garden um, my wife and I are a member of a a choral society we're not allowed to laugh but uh, so I I hold up not very well the tenor section of a (laughs) a particular so I'm privileged to be uh, president of the Battlebrit Memorial Flight Association and the Royal Observer Corps Association and I'm also chairman of the trustees for the Bentley Priory Museum which I do, if I can get a plug in, it's a great museum to visit down near um, Bushy Heath, mm-hmm. Stanmore um, and it's, it's got all of Dowding's office so I'm the chairman of those trustees so I stay pretty busy
0: You certainly do and this could be a very tough question, but I have to ask it. Yeah. Have you had a favourite aircraft of every type you've flown? What is your
1: favourite? I'll put it this way, Mike, uh, and it's a question that I'm very often asked, you know, which is the favourite? Of course, before I'd flown the Warbirds, when I was flying the Lightning, wow, mm. you know, going to the you know, reaches of space and going at that speed with an aeroplane which was so flyable was wonderful. Flying the F-4 Amazing, for its day, amazing warplane. The tornado was great as well. Or snarling along in a sea fury Mm. behind a, you know, 2400 horsepower Centaurus. All wonderful. But if God gave me one more flight (laughs) and said you can fly any airplane you like in the whole lot, and I'm, I suppose I'm up to 65 on types and marks, types and marks. Uh, it 'll have to be the spitfire I
0: thought it would be that yes it 's such a classic isn 't it
1: it is It, it is a classic aeroplane, and uh, and of course, I have flown it for the last twenty seven years I suppose, so i 'm bound to get it into my blood um, it 's not an easy one, I, I have to say, but that would be uh, that would be it
0: and is there an aircraft you wish you could have flown that you haven 't
1: yeah i 'd love to have flown the Fot one ninety actually. Oh, right. okay. uh, uh, having flown the 109, um, if I could have flown, got into a, an original 190, people who've flown it say it's a, it's a cracking aeroplane. Um, amazing roll rate, great power unit, um, not without its its vices. Uh, but I think in that sort of genre of aeroplane, I, uh, I yeah, I, I think I would, think I would have, 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 have liked to have uh, flown I'd like to fly any airplane, (laughs) but uh, that uh, one, I suppose, stands out as one I uh, would quite like to have flown. Yeah.
0: Well, Cliff, thanks very much for being on the show.
1: Pleasure.